Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you guys this morning. Everybody alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic? Yeah, we're going to have to work on that. That's fine. You're learning a little bit of what it's like to be one of my children. I like to make sure that they're alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic in the morning. Hey, sorry, real quick, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really excited to be able to gather and to honor God together this morning, and also just to dig into His Word so that we can learn and grow ourselves. Um, I just want to first of all start out by saying thank you to you guys. Um, how, you don't need to raise your hand or, or whatever, but last week was absolutely amazing. If you, were, if you were involved in that, I just want to say thank you. If you've ever been involved in Be the Church Sunday, man. Um, let, let me just tell you a little bit. I know the summer is crazy and people travel, and so sometimes it's hard to be here for this. But if you've never been a part of Be the Church, I got to tell you, we had like 120, between 110 and 120 people out serving in our community last week. We cleaned up um, some, we cleaned up the rail trail. We did a, a free car wash in the community. Some of you got, I don't think the cars got washed. You got really wet, though. Uh, I, I saw that. Uh, we did, um, let's see, we went to a couple nursing homes, cleaned up gardens there, visited with tons of residents. I heard great stories about that. Um, we, had, we cleaned up some yards, had crews mowing and cleaning up and trimming trees and splitting wood and the list just, and sending out mailers and oh, all, oh, 40 plus backpacks for foster care, uh, for foster kids in the area. Amen. Right? Yeah, so I probably missed something. Uh, if I missed a project that you were involved in, I'm sorry, you can beat me up later. But uh, I just, just wanted to say thank you, really. Just wanted to say thank you. Um, we are not a perfect church, but we do have a perfect Savior, and, and we're trying to grow in following Him. And so I'm, I'm thankful. Man, you guys are... Ready to go this morning. That's good. All right. So let me, let me tell you what we're going to dig into and, and talk about here today, okay? There's a couple of key concepts. I, I, would, I would say really just two of them um, that drive us here at Bridgewater. I would say that drive me personally. And, and now that I've been pastoring here with you for a little over a year, I would honestly tell you these two concepts are the reason that we packed up our family and moved here, okay? They're big concepts. The first concept is this. I am convinced from the Scriptures that there are really two places, a place called heaven. There is a real place called heaven, and there is a real place called hell. I've never seen them with my eyes. You, you, you want to ask me to prove it to you? I, I, can't, I can't point and say this or that, but I am convinced from the Scriptures, from the life of Jesus, from the teachings of the Scripture, that there really is a place called heaven and that there really is a place called hell. I'm convinced of those things. I realize that in a gathering like this, there may be people amongst us here, and you may not be convinced of that yet, and that's fine. I'm just going to speak for myself and tell you that as I've studied the, the Bible, I become convinced 
that there is a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. And then the second concept that I become convinced of is this, that every single person, myself included, my children, my family, people that I desperately care about, people that you desperately care about, every single person who has ever lived will spend eternity in one of those two locations. And the only thing that makes a difference is Jesus. Let me say that again. Every single person who has ever lived, my kids, your family members, my friends, my neighbors, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people that matter to you, maybe even the people you'd say, I'm not sure that person matters to me. Every single person who has ever lived will spend eternity in one of those two locations. And the only thing that makes a difference is Jesus. And because of that, we structure our lives in a certain way. I won't pretend like we're perfect at this, but we, we structure our lives and our time and, and our, our talents, our treasures. We, we take everything that we have and we, we try to structure it in a certain way to help as many people as is humanly possible know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives. I believe that this is actually the very thing that, that, that God has called Christ followers to do. I also think it's one of the reasons that, that there's like an epidemic of people struggling with the question of why am I here? Even Christians struggling with why am I here? Partially because we've missed our purpose. We've missed who we are and what we're called to. And what we're supposed to be giving our lives to. And today I want to talk with you about really Jesus' call to, I'll just call it missions. But really, <laughs> it's just to reach the nations for Christ. I want to wrestle with why, why are we so serious? Why do, we, why do we focus so much on telling as many people as is humanly possible? That Jesus Christ died for them, he was buried for them, and he rose again on their behalf. Why? I, I shared this passage with you just a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to come back to it over the next couple of weeks, but um, this is just kind of, I want to I remind you of it here this morning, okay? Matthew chapter 28, Jesus leaves this for us. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 18, if there's any question as to who's in charge, it's Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's told us that we are to be involved in helping people know Jesus. But why? Why does it matter so much? What's the big deal? Why does it matter? Can't we just, you know, you, you know the spirit of the age. Can't we just all say, hey, let's all get along. There's all these different religions and there's all these different ideas. And can't we just all coexist and we don't need to push one or the other? Well, today I want to show you why I think that that's a problem. Let me walk you through Romans chapter 5. Okay? Just a portion of it. Because in it, I think we find out very clearly what Jesus has done and why it's so important that we take time 
to talk about Jesus. Look at what Romans 5 says, starting in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. There's a couple of key words here. The, the first one I've highlighted is that word powerless. It's the idea that, that I don't have the ability to do anything about my situation. Now, you, you may not feel like that today, but I guarantee in this room there are people who have hit spots where they said, there is nothing that I can do. I'm at rock bottom. God, I don't know what to do. I have no hope. I can't change this. I don't know where to turn. The reality is that we are powerless to change the broken relationship between us and God. We're powerless. And then he goes on and he says, but the good news is that Christ died for us. Now, if we back up there, the, the word that's used there is ungodly. You might say, well, I'm, I'm not a terrible person. I'm not, I'm not as bad as the next. No, I, I get that. But the reality is, we start putting ourselves in comparison with God. There's no comparison. We're not like Him, and we're powerless to change. So what did He do? He died in our place. Then verse 7 goes on, and He says this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. I, I've struggled with this verse. It's, it's kind of odd. It's like, wait a minute, every now and then somebody will die for a righteous person, but, but you know, for a good person, uh, someone might possibly dare to die. Let me, let me show you a different translation. The, the New Living Translation says this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Do, do, you, do you follow that? People are generally not wanting to give up their lives for somebody. But if somebody is especially good, or if it's someone especially close to you, you might lay your life down for them. But remember how, how, how Paul just described the writer of Romans 5. He describes who we are. We were ungodly. And then in verse 8, it says this. He says, since we have now been judged. Nope, that's verse 9. If we go back to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is this saying? When I wasn't lovely, when, when you weren't lovely, when you and I were not people that others would, you know, want to be in a relationship with, God died for us. That's what he did. Jesus went in our place. Verse 9, he goes on and he says this, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Look at what he's done. The word justified means to be declared right. This is what Jesus has accomplished. He's declared us right in the eyes of God. How much more will we be saved from God's wrath? What we deserve. This is what we deserve. And yet, Jesus has done something about it. Verse 10. For if we were 
While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Here's the thing. When we wrestle with the question, why do we spend so much time talking about Jesus? Why are we concerned? Why would we as a church, you know, personally here at, at Vestal, we give between $1,500 and $2,000 a month to help plant churches around the globe. We're involved in a number of other mission organizations. Why do we do that? Why is it so important? Here's why. Because people are lost and dying and in need of hope. Do you know there's an entire window of, of the world? We call it the 1040 window. There's an entire window of the world where 96% of the, of the people on planet earth who've never heard about Jesus live. It's, it's in between the 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude. Most of it is in the Middle East and then in Asia. There's a whole host of unreached people groups, and Jesus told us to be a people who would spread the gospel and take it around the world. Why would we do it? This is why, because we believe that through Jesus we're reconciled. We believe it's through Jesus that he has reconciled us. So, what's the deal? Here's, here's why we do that. Because of Jesus, we believe that we are not just a religious gathering. We are part of a movement. You are part of taking the gospel around the world. You are part of helping people around the world know Jesus. And the reality is, we do it here. But I just wonder, I wonder if God would raise up out of this gathering people who might want to be involved in helping people in other countries know Jesus. I wonder if God would raise up out of this gathering people who would give of their time, their talent, and treasure and consider going and sharing the good news and planting churches in other locations. We've been, we've been so excited about what's, what's been happening here. God's been doing some incredible things. Three more people trusted Christ this week, amen? Right? That's, it's exciting. It's great. We, we talk about how maybe someday we'll, we'll be able to, out of this location, start another church, uh, another Bridgewater location, maybe in Newark Valley or maybe Sayre or, or who knows, there, maybe in Binghamton. There's, there's endless possibilities, but I do not want you to forget why we do that. We do it because of what Jesus has done. Now let me... Let me back up a minute. I wonder for you, has there been a time when the truth about Jesus has settled in? I've loved getting to know so many of you and hearing your stories. And the reality is, I know that Jesus died for you. He came for you. He loves you. Have you put your faith in him? 
If you haven't, I want to invite you because we don't, we don't just show up here to, to sing songs and put on a show. We don't show up here just for that. We show up here because we believe that God is doing something and changing the world one life at a time. Yeah, amen. You guys are pumped up this morning. <laughs> we are a part of a movement. The whole book of Acts is a story of how the movement began. See, in Acts chapter 1, there were about uh, 120 followers of Jesus at that point. After his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he met with his disciples. He, he gathered with them, and he told them, I'm about to leave, and then he ascended to heaven, okay? And shortly after he left, he sent the Holy Spirit, and very quickly after the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people trusted Christ in one day. They were baptized right there. They went public with their faith, and the movement was off. Shortly after that, you know, God started sending people out from Jerusalem. He started sending out people like Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas. He started sending out people like Stephen and Philip, and they started traveling all over. Paul kind of gathered back together once he trusted Christ. He gathered with all the believers in Jerusalem, laid out, I'm, I'm making this part up, okay? He, he, he laid out a map in front of them, okay? I mean, not the story, but... It, not the idea, but the, 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 my, my take on it, is that Paul would have like laid out a map and he said, okay, well, here's Jerusalem, here's the known world. You take Jerusalem, you guys take Judea, and I've got the rest. And that's what he did. He started traveling and telling people about Jesus. Started a movement. But you're not just part of a gathering. God wants to use you. God has put you in this movement so that you could be a part of seeing lives changed. I wonder, where is he sending you? Is he sending you to your neighborhood? Is he sending you to your workplace? Is he sending you to your parents? Is he sending you to your children? Is he sending you to your in-laws? Is he sending you to the next city? Is he sending you to the state over as he's sending you across the ocean, wherever it is. The only question is, will I center my life around him and actually put action to the fact that I believe there is a place called heaven and a place called hell, and every single person who's ever lived will spend eternity in one of those two places? I believe we're a part of a movement. Now, the book of Romans is an, is an incredible letter written by Paul to the Roman church. And in the first portion, he, he talks about the, the good news of, of Jesus and, and what it's done for us. But then he makes a turn and he starts talking about what it should mean for our lives. And so I want to move into the section uh, where he talks about what it should mean for our lives. In chapter 10, he, he has a lot to say about the gospel and what, how it should impact our lives. Starting in verse 9, he says this. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not if you're a good person and you show up at church. 
It's not if you've, you know, done enough good deeds. It's not if you, if you were baptized. It's not if you grew up in church. Or it's, it's none of that. It's just if you declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it's with the mouth, it's by believing in your heart that you are made right uh, with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So it's by believing, and then it's with our mouth what we declare that we are saved. Verse 11, he goes on, says this, or verse 13, sorry, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, we've just talked uh, about a lot of this, now what? Look at verse 14 and 15. He says this, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can your neighbor, I'll just I'll talk about mine, okay? How can Carl and Deb call on the one that they have not believed in? How can Carl and Deb believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can Carl and Deb hear without someone preaching to them? Carl and Deb have a son. His name's Zach. He hangs out with my son Silas, comes over all the time. They like to ride four-wheelers and play video games. Pretty normal kids. How can Zach call on the one that they haven't believed in? How can Zach believe in the one who he hasn't heard of? And how can Zach hear without someone preaching to them? Now, I don't know who your neighbor is. I don't know who your coworker is. I don't know all the names of your family members, but I know the reality is the same. They can't. Verse 15, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here's the reality. We have been sent. It is not a question of whether or not God has sent someone. Listen, when I trusted Christ, man, it it is a wonderful thing, and God has absolutely changed my life. But you want to know what one of the greatest temptations in my life has been? It hasn't been all of the normal things. You You could name any number of things. You could talk about money. You could talk about sex. You could talk about any number of things. That has not been the greatest temptation in my life. The greatest temptation in my life has been to live as if my life is all about me. The greatest temptation in my life has been to live my life centered around me. How about you? What I want, what I want to do, my hobbies. uh, Oh, this is so much fun. I want to orient my life around, you know, hunting or fishing or I want to do all these things. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those things, but the reality is you have a mission and a mandate that supersedes it all. I enjoy Nebraska football. I'm sure you all do too. I enjoy the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sure you all do too. I know. I know you do. Okay. I've found that I can 
I can build my life around finding out news about what's happening with the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I know that sounds like a stupid thing to many of you, okay? But, but, but I have. I, I have found that I can orient my life around those things and what's going on and we got a new coach and how are we going to do and who do we play and when's the game and, you, you know, and, and if I can't get the game because now I live in this state of New York and I can't find the game on the TV, I have found that it can really mess with my heart, which really reveals to me a lot of what maybe I've built my life on. Here's what the scripture is calling us to. People need to hear. They won't hear unless somebody speaks. And you and I have been sent. We've been sent. We're called to orient our lives. We're called to orient this church. We're called to, you know, we're called to build things around the fact that there really is a place called heaven and a place called hell. And every single person who has ever lived will spend eternity in one of those two places. And so when I, when I think about that 1040 window that I mentioned to you a little bit ago, when I think about the fact that, the, that there are unreached people groups, there are portions of our world that do not have the ability to even turn to Jesus because no one's gone. It makes me go, hmm, Lord, Who are you going to send? Who are you going to send? I believe that God has brought me and my family here, partially for many of you that are here, but also for Carl and Deb and Zach. I think God has brought us here for, for Jen and Ron. I think that God has brought us here for people who need to know Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what am I saying? Here, here's what I'm saying. Because of Jesus, you and I are called to make a difference now. Both here and there. When, when we talk about missions, I, I want to clarify something. The mission that God has given to us is to make disciples. I believe that missions is the act of going and planting churches in other places where they don't have a good gospel witness so that we can make disciples there. That's why I love what we're doing, and I love the fact that there will be days out of this church that we, we will be able to plant other churches in the area, okay? Okay? But we are called to make a difference here and there. Here's the problem. I've spent the entire time this morning leading up to this statement that I want to share with you. Steve Saint. His father was a missionary. His name was Nate Saint. He died at the hands 
of a, an unreached people group. And Steve later went back and was involved with his, with his mother in helping those people come to know Jesus. Later in his life, he wrote a book and he said this. Let me share with you. Our practice of sending a few highly specialized troops to fight the enemy while leaving the vast majority of Christians out of the spiritual battle is our great omission. So here's what I want to ask you. Are you engaged? Are you engaged? The goal is not that we just send some highly trained, special people. The goal is not just to raise up more pastors. The goal is not just to raise up more missionaries. The goal is for every single Christian to understand where to go and find food and to help the next person how to go and find food for themselves so they can help somebody else. That's what we're called to. Here's a question I want to leave you with. Is your life centered around the difference that Jesus makes? Is your life built around the fact that Jesus is the one who, while we were still ungodly, He died for us. When we were powerless, He stepped in with power. When we were unrighteous, when we were ungodly, He came and lived the life that I should have lived and then died the death that I deserved to die. Is your life centered around the fact that there is a real place called heaven and a real place called hell and everyone who has ever lived will spend eternity in one of those two places? The only thing that makes a difference is Jesus. Or have you given in to the temptation to center your life around yourself. Boy, I find that super easy. There's a couple of ways that I believe that you and I can center our lives around the difference that Jesus makes. Let me just share with you some steps that you and I could take Around here, we talk about praying, we talk about investing, we talk about inviting. In fact, when you walked in today, there should have been a card that was on your seat that looks like this. I wonder who your Carl and Deb are, who your Zach is. I wonder who your Ron and Jen, Ron's a guy that I coach with. I wonder who your John, John Zaleski, a guy that Randy Hessler introduced me to. I wonder who who your people are that you could pray for, invest in, and invite. I wonder if you're here today and you say, man, I I would really actually like to go someplace and help people know Jesus. I would tell you, reach people here and then you'll be ready to go. But I wonder if the Lord would be speaking to anybody here. You say, I'm too old. No, no, you're not. Maybe God has a different second half of life for you than the first half. You can 
support mission endeavors. We do this here at Bridgewater. You can, spray, you can pray specifically for, I just said spray. That was really cool. <laughs> Sorry. It's impressive. It's all right, guys. I speak for a living. Can't you tell? You can pray specifically for church planting efforts. You can pray. Let me share with you a couple that you can pray for, okay? As a whole, Bridgewater, we support mission efforts all around the world. I'm going to highlight just a couple of them, okay? One is one that we support specifically out of Bridgewater Vestal. She actually grew up in this church. Her name is Ruth Rising. She is working with AIDS orphans in South Africa. She was here not that long ago. They are working to help young people know Jesus and to equip them so they can go out as missionaries in their area as well. You can pray for Ruth. Pray for what God is doing there. You can, you can pray for our church planting efforts right now in Peru. In, in, in Peru, we have uh, Douglas who's starting new churches you can pray for this. We, we partner with people in, in uh, Ethiopia. We partner with, with people in Europe. We partner with people around the globe. These two are two that you could start praying for and asking God to work in. But don't forget, it's not that we send highly specialized troops to go fight and we stay home and do whatever we want. You are needed. I almost feel like I need to put a poster of Uncle Sam up here that says, <laughs> we want you. Isn't that what it says? You know? It doesn't matter what I want. I'll just tell you the reality. If you're a Christian, you are in the service of the Lord. Period. Let me show you one last thing. Little by little, since the beginning of the church, which started about 2,000 years ago, the book of Acts tells us about it in Acts chapter 2, shortly after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Little by little, God has been moving and working and changing our world. The very fact that 2,000 years ago, under the, the rule and reign of a Roman empire, children had no rights, no one cared for them, per se, other than just their parents. Wow, what a different world we live in today. Women had had no rights, no value, unless they were married to a rich man or the daughter of a wealthy ruler or whatever. Wow, how our world has changed. Even adult men, unless you could defend yourself and beat up the next guy, no one cared. And little by little, Christianity has been changing things. Here's the reality. We know that about 8 billion people live in our world today. And I want to show you some, some statistics here, okay? Um, this, is a, this is kind of a, a description of how many people have uh, come to know Christ. And you can see that starting back at, at 100 AD, the number is very, very small, okay? And, and by 1000 AD, okay? We have one million.
Christians. By 1,500, 5 million. By 1,900, 40 million. By 1,950, 80 million. Now up to 500 million shortly before 1990. And as of uh, uh, just before uh, 2020, everything that we can track as far as someone who says they read and believe and obey the Bible, that they've trusted Christ, we can see this just shy of 1 billion people who now claim to follow Jesus. Here's my point. It's about one out of every nine people. The reality is that means it takes all of us to reach them. Think about it. There's nine people in your realm who need to know Jesus. That's doable. Nine people in your realm who need to know Jesus. Who are the nine going to be? Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you would help us to recognize that we are called by you to be involved in your mission. It's not a, you know, high, a group of highly specialized people who just go and, and do this on our behalf. It's not like that. God, you want to use each of us. So, Father, I pray that I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives today and show us where you want to use us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.